Freebooters Network. Hi, this is Devin Trey from the Freebooters Network. Today we bring you another episode of Exploding Dice Radio. We hope you enjoy the show. Exploding Dice Radio. Welcome to episode 17 of Exploding Dice Radio, the podcast about all things Firestorm Armada, Dystopian Age, and Uncharted Seas. My name is Andy, also known as Ruckdog on the forums. And I am Josh, also known as CRK. <laughs> Josh, it is so nice to be able to say it, but Dystopian Wars 3.0 is here. We have the starter box to talk about, yes, but also the next couple of waves of releases. And we are starting to see the provisional Orbats appear for the various factions on the Dystopian Wars website as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a very exciting time right now. Honestly, it's nice to see that uh, War Cradle is finally bringing stuff out, and uh, we're gonna get stuff on the table in its uh, final version. You know, right now. Yeah, well, just the fact that gamers can get this game off the shelf and onto the table at long last is is a huge win. So, uh, this episode, we're going to be looking at some impressions and thoughts about the box set, and then we're going to check in on what's coming down the line in the near future for the rest of this month of March uh, 2021 and into April. And then finally, we're briefly going to discuss some of the placeholder Orbats that have been put out, principally for the Imperium, the Crown, and the Union. But before we get to all of that goodness... We have our modeling and gaming update. So, Josh, what have you been up to lately as far as playing and painting? Uh, well, playing-wise, I've been actually continuing to play a decent amount of Battletech. Uh, I've been able to schedule games just uh, with me and one other person, so we've been able to you know, maintain the, uh, uh, the social distancing, per se, and whatnot. Uh, and then I've been painting Battlemechs, so... Uh, that's pretty much what's been on my table so far. Haven't done any Infinity, and I've been waiting for my uh, Dystopian War stuff to get here. <laughs> yeah, very nice. Well, that's great. Uh, so on my end, uh, I've been working principally on my Enlightened models uh, from my two-player starter set because I already had an Enlightened fleet started, and so this is going to be just sort of building on to what I had before. I do plan on working on my Russians immediately afterwards, though, because I would like to get the whole box set painted up to support doing demos in my capacity as a War Cradle War host <laughs> out here once we finally get past all of the, the COVID restrictions. I can actually you know, hang out at Game Store with the people again. Um, I've also been working on some 1800 World War II ships for Victory at Sea, so I still have some of those on the table. And as a not really but kind of sort of gaming project i also finished a resin star trek ship model it's in 1 1400 scale and it is a nova class model that i modified to represent an escort carrier basically that involved putting an extra shuttle bay door on the front to represent the fact that this now has a a through flight deck in the internal uh part of the ship <laughs> so that was a lot of fun that was the first star trek model i've done in about 15 years basically 
I, I, I built Star Trek kits as a hobby and then I started wargaming and then all of my modeling was for wargaming miniatures. And, <laughs> and now I'm, I'm sort of freeing up a little time to dip my little toe back into the Star Trek modeling thing. <laughs> you know, I actually have been contemplating getting back into the like the good old fashioned just modeling either be it cars sci-fi or world war ii or whatever oh yeah yeah well you know this i i say it's kind of sort of but not really a gaming thing because another group of friend of mine are talking about starting a star trek rpg campaign and so this ship if we ever get that started will be sort of our our hero ship that we're all riding around on essentially <laughs> oh that's cool well, we, we did an escort carrier because a couple of the other players wanted to actually play um, fighter pilots, basically. Starfleet fighter pilots. So, Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so for other gaming, electronic-wise, I've been playing a little bit of Grand Theft, Grand Theft Auto V, finally. Uh, I got a new computer with a better graphics card to sort of do it a little bit better justice and not take forever to load, so I've been enjoying that. And then I'm still playing Octopath Traveler on my Switch. I'm about 40 hours into this game. I've been playing it off and on for over a year now. <laughs> Obviously, I, I go long stretches of time without playing it, and then I'll turn around and play a few hours here and there. Interestingly enough, my sons, they're all five and under. They love watching me play this game because of all the flashy colors, and one of my sons is started to read and he just loves when all the words from the characters pop up on the screen and that type of thing. So that's kind of fun little family activity <laughs> there, you know? And then, uh, as far as dystopian wars goes, I've actually played, I've actually had two play sessions now with my friend Matt out here. Um, we are of course playing the full rules from the new release. He's been playing the Russians. I've been playing, well, the Russians, the, uh, the Commonwealth, I should say. And I've been playing the enlightened and, the first time we got together, we just sort of played a, you know, not really much of a scenario, just sort of a generic game to get ourselves used to the rules. And then a week ago when we met up, we started playing the missions from the campaign book. And we got through the first two of the four missions in the little miniature campaign booklet that comes in the two-player box set. And so that was pretty fun. Well, anyway, um, moving on here, I guess we'll start talking about the two-player box set. Now... Before I get started, I should point out that I have been doing some videos on YouTube surrounding the Dystopian Wars 3.0 launch. One of those videos is on a impressions. It's not really truly an unboxing because what I did was I took a bunch of still pictures and then more or less made a slideshow presentation out of those pictures and, and sort of talked through it. That's really what the video consists of. And so I did that, so if anybody's interested in, in getting a more in-depth look at the components and really my opinion of what those components are like, feel free to check out that YouTube video. I'll put that little link in the, the show notes so you can find it there. All right, so the hunt for the Prometheus, the massive two-player starter set. So let's start with the real stars of the show for this box. That is the models, okay? So we have in the box a combination of plastic and resin models. You've got three large resin models, a battleship for the Commonwealth, a control ship for the Enlightened, which is the ship you see in pictures launching the cyborg whales. And then you've got the drone, uh, or not, sorry, not the drone ship, but the generator ship, the Hypathia generator ship, 
which is very similar to the control ship. It's also an enlightened ship, has about the same size and footprint, just a different topside superstructure. And interestingly enough, in the campaign booklet, that ship acts as kind of the MacGuffin. <laughs> the, the, the basic plot line is that a enlightened scientist who is secretly an agent of the Commonwealth is stealing the ship and trying to make it back to Commonwealth territory with the ship intact to turn it over to his, uh, his government to try and give that government a little bit of a leg up in the global competition. <laughs> now, so those are the largest. They're all resin. Then you get to the plastics, all right? So um, you have a total of eight plastic sprues. Each plastic sprue makes one medium ship and two small ships. So you've got five Russian sprues, and you've got three enlightened sprues. So you can wind up with five Russian cruisers of some kind, 10 Russian frigates, and then you also have three enlightened cruisers and uh, six of the enlightened frigates to work with. So you get quite a few models all together. It's something like 40 models out of the box, uh, so you have an awful lot to work with. Um, the resin models, I should add, in addition to being their primary resin components, also accept various plastic pieces off of the sprues for the cruisers and the frigates. And so things like gun turrets or generator pieces, those types of things, you actually will use uh, the ones off the plastic sprues. And not to worry, they, they include plenty of extras on the plastic sprues. So it's not like you're going to be running low on one particular part or another. <laughs> if anybody's out there worried about that. So when I first got into my box, I just started, I just grabbed a pair of my clippers, my sprue clippers, and I just went to town. <laughs> Uh, snipping out pieces and gluing them together. There is now off of the dystopianwars.com website a assembly guide that will greatly ease the piecing together of the models as well as providing a guide of as to what parts make what class of ship. I just basically went by the pictures on the back of the box because that assembly guide hadn't been posted yet, like I said. And it really wasn't too bad. I mean, if you come from a background of assembling 40K models or maybe even some of like the World War II infantry that Warlord puts out or any one of the other major kit manufacturers out there that does multi-part kits for their infantry models, this is really not going to be any problem for you. They're, they're pretty easy to figure out how they go together, just like I said, looking at the pictures that they include on the back of the box. Uh, but the assembly guide is there to make things a little bit easier. And like I said, also to help you keep the different classes straight. And that guide, along with some other information about how to work on the modeling bits, is going to be going into a little printed pamphlet that, uh, according to our good friend Stuart at War Cradle, is going to be included in later runs of the two-player box set. So it's possible that when you get your box set sometime in the future, if you don't have one already, and you open it up, that there might be some assembly instructions and other little interesting modeling helpful guides included in the box, which is nice. Um, well, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the, uh, just because I haven't gotten a box set yet to uh, peruse the models, how, uh, like, size-wise on the generators and other turrets, uh you know, for changing into the different classes, how do they look for magnetizing? So the, if you're familiar at all with the turrets and the generator pieces from the uh, original dystopian wars line from Spartan, then you're going to be right in the same ballpark. 
So I've actually got one of the little generator pieces in my little hand right now. And it's a little bit smaller than the size of an American dime in terms of diameter. So, you know, if you have like a 3 16th inch uh, magnet or something like that, it'll be just about perfect for that purpose. Uh, so it's really not going to be too difficult at all. Uh, it's going to be, if I were going to, again, relate it to an infantry thing, if you were trying to magnetize like a pistol for a 28 millimeter infantry model, then you're going to be writing about that same ballpark. So if you can magnetize the hand, for example, like on a Space Marine model or something like that, then you can easily magnetize these turrets and generators and whatnot. Okay, that, that sounds great, actually. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's not too bad at all. And the way that they're set up is that the generators and the turrets have like a little peg on them, and they recess into a small hole on the model. Uh, so it's pretty easy to sort of clip that off and then drill out the hole a little bit and put you know a magnet on the turret or the generator and then put another magnet in the hole and you're all set. So it's it's not it's not going to be too bad at all. It's actually I think going to be a little bit easier than the original Spartan models were because a lot of those turrets that Spartan produced were in metal, <laughs> and it was always a little bit yeah. of a hassle to get the pegs clipped off and get them filed down flat so you glue a magnet in its place that type of thing. Yeah, I would say those metal turrets were always a big pain on the butt to work with. <laughs> yeah. All right, so, of course, the models are not the only thing that are in the box set. But before we move on, is there any other questions you wanted to ask about the models? Oh, no, no. That was magnet. Uh, the magnets was the big one. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's definitely been... So there's been some people out there that have been doing all kinds of crazy things with magnetizing the actual hull pieces of the models because well, the way the cruisers work is that you have different bows, different amidship sections, etc., that you can use to make a heavy cruiser versus a fast cruiser versus, you know, like, like all these different types of cruisers can be made out of the same plastic sprue. And there's some folks that have been magnetizing the entire thing so they can basically play Dystopian Wars Legos with their various pieces for the hull to completely disassemble it and rebuild something else. More power to them. That's just a lot more time and effort and energy than I wanted to put into it. I figure if I want different classes of cruiser, I'll just buy another box set and be done with it. But, for, you know, it's, it's definitely impressive seeing pictures online from some of the folks that have been able to make that work and actually pull it off. It's like I, I, I sometimes think about all the folks that did similar things with, say, like the Baneblade chassis for 40K, where you can completely make a different type of tank out of the, the one model that they built because they magnetized so much of it, you know? <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, some people go to extreme lengths just to kind of, quote-unquote, save money. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, I can definitely understand the impulse, especially with a very expensive model like a Baneblade. It's like, I really don't want to have to buy two of those type of thing. But uh, for the Dystopian War stuff, I think the, the return on investment for the time it takes to do that type of magnetizing isn't quite the same. But again, that's just me. If you're interested in magnetizing these things to next Tuesday and back, then by all means, have at it. <laughs> all right, but anyway, so moving on from the models. So things like the dice and the templates, the cards, they're all pretty nice quality. You've got, oh, I want to say it's uh, 30 or 40 of the action dice, the dice you actually have to roll to do shooting attacks. These dice, when I first saw them in their little baggies, I thought they looked kind of chintzy, but they're actually not bad. They're about on the same level of quality as the standard like 12 millimeter Chessex D6s. And they are cast in a kind of a pearlescent, almost like mother of pearl style plastic. 
And it, it makes them look like they're, like I said, they're sort of cheaper or chintzier than they actually are. They actually feel pretty good in the hand. They roll pretty nicely. Um, and then you also get, uh, I think it's like 12 of the critical effects dice. These are the larger size D6s, uh, like the 16 millimeter D6s. And they are very nice looking. They're black with orange markings on the sides. Um, all of these dice have, including the action dice, I should say, have completely original and different artwork on each face. And so they're very well done. Uh, they, they work pretty well in a game situation. The templates are also in the same plastic as the the ship kits are. So you'll you'll have a separate sprue that has the movement gauge and the the sort of the flamer style scatter template and the turning gauge in it. And so you have to clip all that apart. And what I did with mine is I I went for sort of like an antique uh, brass finish on mine, and it really wasn't too hard to do. Just you know. Base coated it black, painted it. It was actually, I think, Vallejo's airbrushing gold color. Uh, then I sealed it with a gloss coat and used uh, oil washes to sort of antique it and, and get down to the crevices and darken it down a little bit. And it, they look great. They, they work. They, I was very happy with the effect. They pretty much looked exactly the way I wanted them to. So... <laughs> Anyway, um, then you have two decks, and that's not one, but two decks of the Victory and Valor cards. Each deck is 60 cards to a deck, and they are printed pretty well. The one thing I've noticed is that the, the card stock on these is a little bit on the thin side, so I've actually sleeved all of mine just to make sure they hold up over time, because you're going to be using them a fair bit in every game you play. Uh, the way they've worked the Victory and Valor cards has made them much more integral to the game than the old uh, star or tat cards used to be under Spartan. So you're going to want to use them, I think, in your games, and you're going to want to make sure that they hold up over time. So to me, it made a lot of sense to go ahead and put them in some plastic sleeves. I would say, what size sleeves are you using for them? Um, I don't remember off the top of my head. They're standard playing cards. They're the same, you know, standard poker card-sized cards. So, like, if you, if you okay. get the slides, if you get the... The sleeves that are designed to be used with like magic cards or Pokemon cards or whatever your favorite uh, trading collectible card game is, then these cards will fit right in there. They're that, they're that size. They're not the smaller size. They're the full size ones. Okay, so it's not like some weird European size then. No, no, it's not like Fantasy Flight that likes to include three or four different card sizes in the same game. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have a rule book. And this is a chonky little thing. It's about 120 pages. Only about the first 40 or so pages are rules for the game. Everything else is fluff. It's background material. You have a detailed summary of the world situation. You have a detailed section for each of the eight major factions in the dystopian age. So there's a lot to chew on in there. Now, a lot of this material, granted, has been posted on the dystopianwars.com website, but it is still nice to have it all in one place, and there are some tidbits in there that, near as I can tell, haven't been published anywhere else. So definitely worth a read. I'm actually still reading my way all, all the way through it from cover to cover just to make sure that I've caught all the details that I might have skipped over before when I was reading things on the website or Facebook or whatever else. But yeah, no, it's a really nice rule book. The only minor complaint I can level against it is that the covers are a little thin. Uh, so I'm actually thinking about uh, getting my 
my, at least my one rule books. I've actually got two now because I signed up for and received the Salty Dog Special Edition rule book from having played Dystopian Wars in the years past under Spartan. I'm thinking about taking the rule book that came in my box set down to an office store and having them like spiral bind it and maybe laminating the covers just to sort of beef them up a little bit. Um, but against that, you've got a lot of very nice full color artwork. You have a very useful index and a table of contents. So the the usability of this rule book is is right there at the you know top of its class as far as those types of things goes. I've had no problems playing games and easily finding rules when the questions come up. Uh, so as far as that is concerned, it's it's a very nice rule book and, and quite usable. <laughs> well, that's always good to hear. That's been one of my major pet peeves with a lot of games is not having a like a usable index when you're trying to reference things while playing. Right, right. And it's it's one of those things where, you know, in the past with Spartan, a lot of times what I would do is I would rely on the PDFs on my tablet because I could do a search function <laughs> to find the exact word I was looking for buried somewhere on page 84 of the rules or something, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So rounding out the printed materials for the box set is a campaign booklet. Now, this thing is... I mean, it's okay for what it is. It's not going to be setting the world on fire. It's eight pages total. Two of those pages are a full-color spread of the box art from the game. And you've got some background information, you know, a little bit of storytelling, and four different thematic missions to play through. So it's kind of a fun little thing. It helps give some simplified scenarios to ease you into the rules for the new edition. The scenarios, especially the first couple that I played with Matt, like I said earlier, uh, the other uh, basically a week ago now. Sorry to believe it's been that long. <laughs> Time flies. Uh, but anyway, the first couple of scenarios went by very quickly. So there's definitely a sort of a short fuse on that campaign booklet. But like I said, for what it is, it's sort of a little bit of an introduction to the game and providing a little bit of story or theme for your first few games. It does the job. It does the job. Well, I mean, any uh, any introductory booklet, I mean, that's its intended purpose. You know, it's basically to introduce you to the rules, either gradually or just give you a, uh, uh, a better frame of reference to grasp everything, you know, more quickly. Oh, yeah. No, I, and, and, you know, it's... It's unfair, but uh, invariably people are going to compare it to some of the campaign booklets that Spartan put out, which were oftentimes around the 30-page range. But if you start digging into it, one of the things you realize is that those 30 pages included oftentimes a lot of unit stats that uh, aren't included in this booklet. So you can kind of make the argument that they were padded out a little bit. (laughs) Oh, yeah, most definitely. All right, so overall, I think this is a great set, a lot of really good value in it. Uh, I want to say it's MSRP is around 120 US dollars, which is, I think, pretty fair considering the sheer amount of stuff that comes in the box. Um, I did mention earlier that there's going to be that get started guide that's going to have the assembly instructions. That's also going to include uh, printed copies of the stat cards for the units that are in the box. As originally configured, so to speak, the box set did not have any unit stats actually inside the box. So they are, they are changing that. You can, of course, go and get those stats for free off the website, but they are printing, putting some printed versions in 
later runs of the box set. And I'm a fan of that move because it allows the box set to pass what I like to call the Christmas morning test, where, you know, it's Christmas morning, you get your present, you open it up, and you want to be able to sort of play with your present that day. You don't want to have to go and buy an additional expansion or go online and have to print stuff out. You want to sit around the tree, open it up, and play, right? Well, once you get the stack cards actually in the box, hey, you'll be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every major starter I've uh, for any game usually has some sort of st- you know stat in it just to be playable out of the box. Right, you know, right. That's, yeah. And that's, you know, I'm honestly kind of surprised they didn't include unit cards. Well, I you know, I can understand the perspective they're uh, expressing here, which is, hey, the unit stats are going to be changing over time. We don't want to have to have people, you know, working with outdated stats in a box that was printed two years ago. And in this day and age where the vast majority of people, especially the vast majority of people who are playing tabletop games, have tablets and smartphones, the ability to download those stat cards and use them off of their their electronic device is probably a great mitigator for that type of thing. But like I said, I, I still, like you, would like to have my starter box include stats <laughs> with it. Just to, like I said, pass that Christmas morning test. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. I it's And I understand. Like, it, it saves on printing costs, and it's... It's a uh, a living, you know, they want to keep like a, what they call a living rule book or living stats, you know, so they're able to adjust them for facts and stuff, which I mean, it makes sense, you know, in the in the long term. Yeah. All right. So, so Josh, did you have any other questions or comments on the, the box set itself? No, no. Okay. Well, I just wanted to take a quick little time to discuss some thoughts on the gameplay here. So at this point, I've gotten a total of three games in using the actual finalized rulebook and the unit stats. And I have to say, I really like it. I I really do. And I I say that unironically. Um, The rules are quite streamlined, right? So this is not the same level of complexity and uh, detail, perhaps you might say, as previous editions of Dystopian Wars. But at the same time, it's it also has a much more intuitive feel to it. You know, in Dystopian Wars, uh, the older editions, there was lots of rules that were, although you can make sort of a, a post facto logical explanation for it, a lot of the rules were kind of arbitrary in the way they set things up. So one example I'll, I'll give here is that in older versions of Dystopian Wars, if you had a model and you shot at that model... Uh, the units that shot at that model would not be able to then board it later that turn. So if you, you couldn't board things you had shot at, basically. And no real logical reason given for it because it, it wasn't a simultaneous thing. It was just saying, nah, you, you just can't because we said so kind of thing. Whereas with the new rules, that's gone. If you want, you can roll right up. You can shoot something in the face. Then you can board it all in the same turn. And, and so because they've taken away a lot of those arbitrary rules... The game feels like it flows a lot better because you don't have to remember all of these exceptions and negative rules uh, that you used to have to keep in mind with the older versions of the game. Uh, so it does seem like it it makes the game flow a lot better, like I said, and to me it makes it a lot more, uh, a lot easier, I should say, to kind of pick up and play if that makes any sense. Oh yeah, totally. I in Firestorm Armada had the same thing with not uh, being able to board and after a target you've shot. So 
I like that they're doing away with something like that, you know, and it gives me hope for Firestorm Armada. <laughs> well, you know, it seems to be that they're taking a little bit of a different design philosophy, and I've actually got a whole YouTube video planned on this that I won't give away too much here, but, you know, philosophically, I think that Dystopian Wars and really all the all the Spartan naval games, for that matter, suffered from a little bit of a, a schizophrenic personality <laughs> in some ways. And what I mean by that is that there were some elements of the game that were pretty straightforward and fairly streamlined, and there were other parts of the game that were rather intricately detailed. And a lot of times they didn't quite mesh perfectly. And that was part of the charm as well for those game systems. I'm not going to lie. I, I did kind of enjoy that at times. But you would have situations where you had a really elegant you know, movement system, and then you would tack on a really cumbersome shooting system with all these detailed lines of sight rules and all these detailed firing arc rules and having to measure from the weapons mounts or, or you know, the carrier rules or the boarding rules. I mean, Spartan never really did kind of reach one final design for how they wanted those things to work. They were just, well, those were the types of things that kept changing dramatically from edition to edition. It was kind of interesting to watch over time. But with, oh, this, yeah. with this game, it just feels like it meshes all together better as a coherent whole. And it feels like it sort of maintains a, a more even level of difficulty over the various parts of the game, whether it be movement or shooting or the SRS rules or so on and so forth. So I'm not sure if that makes a lot of sense outside of my head, but that, that's one of the things I've kind of noticed with it. <laughs> oh, no, it makes, it makes perfect sense. You know, I'm actually very anxious to really uh, tear into the new rule book once I get it. And uh, I'm still trying to convince some of the guys here to play. So hopefully I'll be able to get a game or two in at least, even if they're only introductory games, just so I can kind of test the system out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, I, th I think they'll probably enjoy it once they get a chance to play it. One thing that you'll definitely notice though, is that the shooting in this game is very fast and furious and, and things die quickly. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a very deadly game. So yeah, it's, it's not one of those things where you can expect to have a whole lot of your fleet left over by the time you get done with the game. <laughs> well, I mean, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, it's, it's, it makes it pretty cinematic and action packed, honestly. So, but, uh, all right, well, uh, I think at this point, Josh, we've been going here for a little bit. Why don't we go ahead and take a break, and we'll give our sponsor here an opportunity to put out a couple messages. And when we come back, we'll talk about the upcoming releases and a little bit about the Orbats that have been released recently. Currently, humanity looks to the Internet for its information. We have stood at the edge of despair and would have fallen. If not for awesome podcasts and their content of everything we love. Now these podcasts are all brought together in one place. Forged in like-mindedness. Tempered with a community-oriented forum. Covering all things geek. Such as wargaming, board gaming, comics, movies, and more. Presenting a lineup of podcasts producing exclusive content for the fans. The Freebooters Network. Trolls want to steal our community. Let them. All right, everybody, try. we're back. So, for the first part of our second half of the show, we're going to be talking about March and April releases. 
So what we know here is that towards the end of this month, at least according to the Wayland Games website, we're going to be seeing the release of the Gubbins box and the Elector Battlefleet for the Imperium. So Gubbins box first. Now, Josh, I know that this is something that you're picking up. So why don't you go ahead and, and, and take this one since you're the one that's going to be ordering it and talk to us a little bit about what we got inside this little Gubbins box. Well, it's uh, much like War Cradle's other Govins box. You're going to get your rule book, your templates, counters, dice, you know, all your essential materials to play the game. So if it's it's more or less a starter box without having the miniatures and whatnot with it, um, it's at a, a much more attractive price. So it's uh, great for entry level gamers. Um, it's, it's, also, the, it's also very handy for folks that have a large supply of the older Spartan models <laughs> and are just looking for is, the uh, new components to play. Yeah, that is very true. Yep, yep. And if, like, uh, yeah, if you have a, a large amount of older models, uh, which we'll get in, I guess, the uh, we'll talk about it in the Orbats, but they give a reference for conversion on that. Um, it's a great purchase. You know, this is, this is what I've been waiting for. I didn't necessarily want the two player starter set, uh, mostly cause I just want to collect the, uh, the Elector Imperium models. So it's, uh, it's a great starting off point if you want to make a smaller investment to start off with, you know, um, and then of course they're releasing the, uh, Imperium uh, starter box, Elector Fleet starter box, which I'm also picking up. Yes, uh, yeah, I'm I'm going to be getting this one as well because I mean, you know, they're ships and trains. Like we said last time, that's a peanut butter and chocolate type combination for me. I just can't resist. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like the new designs. They uh, they really appeal to me, and it's you know I've always been a you know limited limited amount of playing dystopian wars, but you know I've always been a Prussian. Prussian player and the Imperium, the new designs for the Imperium, the Electro Fleet really appealed to me. And yeah, yeah, I guess you did you did call it a starter set for the Imperium. I, that's not quite true. So the way it it might as well be right because it's the very first box that they're releasing. It gives you like a decent feelable force right out of the box. But yeah, the, yeah. the way the way War Cradle is structuring things is they're doing what they're calling battle fleets and then frontline squadrons, right? And so the frontline squadrons are essentially a couple of the plastic sprues for that faction. And if you remember from our discussion in the first half of the show, these sprues have the makings of either. The makings of one medium ship and two frigate-sized ships. So you get three ships off of the sprue. And so the frontline boxes are just two of those sprues, so you can make a total of two cruisers and four frigates. Whereas the battle fleet boxes have a large model that may be plastic or might be resin, depending on the faction and, and the design and whatever else they're, they're putting into it. And so for those boxes, you actually have a total of six ships because you have to add in the large model on top of the, the two plastic sprues. So that's what this is. It's going to be a box that has the uh, Kaiser class battleship. Well, Kaiser class is one of the types of battleship you can make out of it. There are several different 
classes like the Heidelberg and uh, what else they got here? Uh, the Boy, yeah, the, the Trippets and, and the, the Holzendorf. Yeah. yeah, so basically, depending on the weapons fit out, you can make different classes of battleship. Is basically where they're going with that. So, so again, for those folks out there that love to magnetize, some some really interesting opportunities for magnetization here. I think. <laughs> but anyway, we've already seen the frontline squadrons for the Enlightened and the Covenant to come out, and of course, these are basically the way you get additional sprues from what's included in the two-player starter set. If you wanted more of the frigates or more of the cruisers or both. Um, this is the first uh, the battle fleets to come out. This uh, the Elector battle fleet is. So um, you know it, it's it's just sort of the start of their new uh, distribution model about how they plan on distributing fleets uh, in the future. From what I've been able to piece together online. So, but yeah, no, it's definitely exciting and uh, definitely looking forward to getting a copy of that set myself. At least one copy. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's. I mean, it all depends on how you want to build your fleet. You know, you're going to be having the main the main battle fleet, and then you, like you said, we have the uh, the different boxes that are going to allow you to expand your fleet. Yep. And your like your cruiser frigate uh, boxes are going to be, you know, those are probably going to be what I buy the most of, just because I've also I'm not a big fan of magnetizing. <laughs> <laughs> despite talking about magnetizing uh, and just building, you know, building the miscellaneous class as a ship just so I have them available for a game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, so the Electra Battle Fleet here is coming in about 40 uh, Great British Pounds, which as of the most recent check I did is roughly 55 or $56 um, uh, in, in U.S. So... You know, that's, that's definitely a, it's not a tiny investment, but it's not a horrendous uh, type of break the bank, break the bank thing. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, the Gubbins box is 25 pounds, which is about 34 US dollars. And just to give you a, a quick comparison here, um, you know, the, the frontline squadrons that they've put out so far for the Commonwealth and the Enlightened, those are coming in at about 23 pounds. So, you know, $32 or so. So that's not a bad, I mean, you know, that's that's less than a squad of infantry on a, a lot of other games these days. So it's not a bad little price point for a, a decent size expansion to your fleet, I think. Um, yeah, I think their price points are, uh, on, you know, to be kind of cliche, on point with, uh, you know, the, the expanding your fleet, not breaking the bank. Yeah, they, uh, I, they, I think they definitely represent a good value for both in terms of the quality of what's of what you're getting as far as the miniatures, as well as the um, basically the the impact or the the amount of play value represented in those, those boxes, if that makes any sense. So. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's an expansion. You know, you're expanding your fleet, giving yourself options, and it's priced out so it's not like horrendous you know like some games that are out there that you know you have to buy three boxes of something just to make a squad or right, whatnot right. And you end up spending like 70 dollars a box <laughs> yeah no I, I i play an imperial guard army so i know all about that anyway um so as we said these are supposed to be coming out here towards the end of march 
Um, originally, they had stated, they being War Cradle, had stated they were going to try and get them out in, last month in February, but they ended up being a, a bit off, and they're, they're going to be coming out now in March. Uh, the next wave of releases starting in April. So those haven't really been da- nailed down yet. We haven't seen some hard announcements yet. But uh, we do know that between, you know, basically now and roughly the middle of the year in July, we're expecting to see battle fleets for the Crown, Union, Sultanate, and Alliance. So that's four more battle fleets coming down the line. And remember, a battle fleet is going to be one large ship, two medium ships, and four small ships in the box. And then we're also supposed to be seeing additional factions for the Enlightened, uh, I'm sorry, additional box sets, uh, probably fleet boxes or battle fleets for the Enlightened and the Commonwealth to sort of allow people who are starting the game with a two-player starter set to get some more variety for their forces. So yeah, lots of stuff coming down the line. Um, You know, as we get more detailed announcements, we'll of course talk about them here on the show. Overall, I have to say I'm very happy with what I've seen of the new game so far. We talked a little bit about this already between our discussion about the value of the box sets and the discussion we had in the first segment about the two-player starter set. But it really does seem like War Cradle has been doing some great quality releases for the game so far. And I'm really hoping that this is going to allow them to get some momentum going uh, and maintain sort of a steady release schedule. Uh, That's that's sort of what I would like to see, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, I think they've got the, uh, you know, with the pandemic and COVID and everything, I think they've actually got a uh, production up and running at an adequate level from their uh, facilities. So they're going to be, I think, uh, a little more consistent on releases. Yes. So uh, I think we're going to see, like, kind of a rapid release uh, over the next few months of, uh, you know, initial battle fleets and then expansion boxes uh, with uh, Dystopian Wars, which will be nice. Oh, yes. And and we are starting to finally get past some of the worst of the pandemic, it seems like. Um, thank heavens. So that will hopefully also not be as big of a factor in the rest of the year as it has been over the past year. <laughs> oh, most definitely. All right, so the next thing I wanted to talk a little bit about is the Orbats, the Order of Battle uh, that they have been putting out on the Dystopian Wars website recently. So we had the Orbats for the Commonwealth and the Enlightened. Of course, we sort of needed those because the two-player box set you know, featured those two factions prominently. But since then, War Cradle has also released Orbats for the Imperium, for the Union, and for the Crown. Now, the Imperium Orbat is a little bit of a horse of a different color. It has a fair few number of options in it. It's fairly well fleshed out. It's got the stats in there for the Ice Maiden, which I'm excited about because now that War Cradle Ice Maiden that I painted up over a year ago now. (laughs) uh, Shoot, probably two years ago now. (laughs) Time was a flat circle. Uh, is finally usable in the new game, so I, I was happy to see that. And then it's also got the rules in there, of course, for the ships that are coming in the Battle Fleet box, because, of course, you're going to want to have the stats for the, those ships in there. And because of all of the different modular options that you've got, we were just talking about how you can build like four different classes of battleship off of the same box. 
they had to include all of those stat profiles in the Orbat. And so the Orbat winds up being about 14 pages, which is a, a pretty decent sized thing uh, to just to sort of give you a point of comparison here when we, when we talk about Orbats just as a kind of a function of their, their length or the number of pages you got. If you were to go and you know pick one of those two initial factions that we were talking about, the Enlightened and the Commonwealth, uh, what you'll find is that their Orbats are about the same length, maybe a page or two longer, like 15 or 16 pages, right? So having a 14-page Orbat sort of puts you right there in the running as far as being fleshed out as much as any of the factions have been fleshed out so far in the run of the game. So that's exciting to see. Now, Josh, you've had a little bit of a chance to sort of read through the Orbat for the Imperium yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, I uh, reviewed it, and uh, I mean, it being longer makes sense since it's going to be the first uh, faction coming out, you know, after the the starter box. So it makes sense that they're going to have a little more fleshed out uh, fleet. Um, I so far I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing, and I especially like they have uh, like named battleships in there you know you have your generic uh regular battleships but then they have some named ones in there which are really neat um and then they also at the end of it give you a uh like a conversion chart for your old bottles where it's just like you know this uh this ship equates to this ship in the new system um which i think is kind of nice so that way you, those of us with older models and whatnot can put them on the table and know exactly what they're representing. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, so just to give a quick example here, for example, if you had a, say, a Reaver class cruiser, which was the very original cruiser model that came out with the, uh, the Prussian box set at the launch of Dystopian Wars. You just go to the end of the Imperium Orbat and it says right there that the Reaver counts as the Blucher class cruiser without any upgrades. Uh, because that's one yep. of the ways that they sort of, they, again, I keep saying they, that's one of the ways that War Cradle keeps tweaking the, the WYSIWYG, the what you see is what you get factor, is by specifying whether or not a old model is carrying an upgrade or not. Uh, because sometimes those upgrades will, say, remove a turret. And that means that your original Spartan model that only had one turret to begin with is now a closer match <laughs> for the, the new stat line, that type of thing. Yeah, yep, exactly. And it's, I mean, it's nice to see, uh, you know, my beloved Prussians, you know, uh, very well represented in the new stat lines and whatnot, and, you know, with their, uh, their own special rules. Um, uh, and... They look, uh, they look pretty nice. Like they, they're very well armored and very heavily armed. Like I remember them. Well, you know, so the way that War Cradle is structuring the Orbats is very interesting. It will be very familiar to anybody who's played eighth or ninth edition of 40k, because they use a very similar structure and sort of a very similar concept, which. Instead of having a bunch of special rules crammed into the core rule book, you separate those out and you include them with the special rules or the profiles for the given factions in the game. 
So in this case, the things that are unique to the Imperium, for example, the Voltaic Special Rule or the Blitzen Bombers or the Lightning Assault, those special rules are all listed on the Orbat. You won't be able to find them in the core rulebook, but they will be listed and described in the Orbat. Um, so that's that's very interesting. That's going to give a lot more flexibility in the future, I think, because you're not going to be uh, welded to your core rulebook as much for the special rules and the different types of flavor that you can include with a faction, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, it goes with the whole concept that a lot of companies are going with, with like living rule books that they're able to update. You know, you'll still have some printed material, but your best reference is going to be the online material, you know, yes. the online rule books. And in this case, the Orbats, you know, they're able to update them on the fly, fix things and add new stuff to them, you know, pretty seamlessly. And it's, it's interesting you mentioned uh, rule books. Um, that's something else I forgot to mention a little earlier is that the digital edition of the Dystopian Wars 3.0 core rulebook is still due to go live sometime really within the next week or two. So just about any time uh, we should see the announcement that that digital rulebook has gotten posted. It was originally supposed to come out uh, again a couple weeks ago towards the end of February, but due to some delays on War Cradles then it's gotten pushed a little bit. However, last word I have from Stuart is it's still on track for this month, so I'll have to keep a sharp eye out on the website. <laughs> that means I'll be able to actually give the final version a read before I get my Gubbins box. Yes, be nice. yes. Now, circling back around to something you talked about a second ago, Josh, where you are talking about how we have that conversion chart at the end of the Orbats, that is actually a nice kind of segue into the other two Orbats that were recently released the ones for the Union, and the ones for the Crown. So these Orbats are substantially shorter than the other three that we talked about, the Enlightened, the Commonwealth, uh, and the Imperium. The ones for the Crown and the Union are only about seven pages long each, and they really only include four units on there. You have a battleship, a carrier, a frigate, and a cruiser. Right, So you only have four basic model types in there. Now what these Orbats are designed to do is allow players who have the older Spartan models to bring them to the table under the new rule set. So these are not the end-all be-all of the Orbats. They will be getting substantially expanded and fleshed out as the new War Cradle models are released. Uh, for that faction. So this is just kind of the, the starter set, just to kind of get people rolling and give a little taste of what's to come. But they are pretty bare bones by design, right? So there, there's not going to be as much detail in there as there will be eventually. What's interesting, though, is that the sort of the, the conversion table or the proxy table, whatever you want to call it, at the end of the Orbat is still pretty extensive. They still list pretty much all of the major ships that are even close to being right for the proxy purposes for the new stat lines, they're included <laughs> in that, that table at the end. So you still have a pretty expansive list of ships and how to use them with the new rule set. Uh, so that they at least went that far, so that's pretty handy. Yeah, that's nice. And I can almost imagine that when we're 
like when there's an impending release or whatnot for the new battle fleets that I would see, and you know, you, we can probably expect an expansion either before or like after the announcement of the, the you know the Orbat being updated more extensively right. at that yeah. point. Yeah, and and of course uh, as the game expands and we get larger uh, player bases and more games being played and certain things or issues are found with the rules. The Orbats I'm sure will get updated for balancing tweaks and the rest. Right. So. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, Josh, did you have any other things you wanted to mention or talk about with the Orbats? I uh, no. I have to go and uh, get some games and really dive into it more. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, that's one of the things that I definitely am interested in doing here as we move through the rest of the year with some of these episodes is doing a little bit more of a, a detailed dive into what makes a given faction tick. You know, what, what kind of special rules are they using? What are some of the best tips and tricks for maximizing those special rules on the tabletop, that type of thing? Uh, so I'm definitely looking forward to having those discussions with you here as we both get some more time with the game. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So. All right. Well, Josh, if there's nothing else, then I think that brings us to the end of this episode of Exploding Dice Radio. 2021 is shaping up to be a great year for Dystopian Wars, and we're going to be here to talk all about it. <laughs> Uh, maybe uh, by the time we get a chance to record again, Josh, you'll have gotten your uh, your new goodies and had a chance to maybe even try the game out yourself. Yeah, I'm hoping that's uh, going to be the case. All right. Well, that'll do for this episode of Exploding Dice Radio. As always, thanks so much for listening, both to the show and to the other shows on the Freebooters Network. If you have any feedback or have a topic you'd like to see discussed on the show, you can find me via the Exploding Dice Radio Facebook page, the Exploding Dice Radio YouTube channel, and in the episode discussion thread on the Man Battle Station's forums. You can also email me directly at edrpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Ruck Dog saying good luck and good hunting. And this is CRK saying remember Dreamhouse. The music featured in this podcast is from the World of Warships soundtrack and is provided courtesy of the Wargaming Group Limited.